Lloyd with Morgan streaking. She's checking the goalkeeper. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large and, and we want to continue to fight. Uh, the generation of players before us fought and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. The pay cap for the women's Major League Soccer players is 11 times less than the pay cap for men's Major League Soccer. 11 times. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards one Listening to Give and Go with Rotas Wadera, only on Girls Soccer Network. Hello and welcome. This is Give and Go coming to you live from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. This is episode 44 of Give and Go, and again, be sure to share, subscribe, let everyone know about this podcast. If you enjoy the content that we put out, please, please share. Leave us a review on iTunes. Everything helps. Whatever you can do to help us out, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Again, ask Siri if you need to. Siri can help you out with finding this by podcast name, by saying Give and Go, play your newest podcast by episode name. If you want to just know what the name of the podcast is or to subscribe to the show, you can do all of that. So please, please be sure to spread the word on this podcast if you are a fan of us, by all means. And of course, you cannot forget, go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com for all the latest news, highlights, lifestyle, analysis, everything in the world of women's soccer, we got you covered. Check us out on Instagram, at Girls Soccer Network, and on Twitter, at Girls Soccer Net. We have a lot to unpack in this episode. Our special guest this week is Sean Hudson, coach of the LSU women's soccer team, one of the better programs in the SEC. That was a great interview. You do not want to miss that. That's coming up in a bit. We also have FAWSL news, some stuff from Australia and the W League, excuse me, now the A League, more on that later. And then, of course, but... First and foremost, we have to get to the NWSL and everything that has gone on. So much has happened in terms of controversy and appalling levels of controversy. I think everyone knows this by now, but in recent matches, players took a huge step during the sixth minute of their matches to represent the six years of silence that Manashim, Kayla McCullough, and Shanid Fairley had to bear because they were unable to speak up on what had happened to them. So this was a huge step taken by the players after the initial postponement of the games. You know, once this news had kind of broke out about Paul Riley, considering this spanned over the course of a decade, you're talking about this happening. It's just utterly shocking. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, yes, we've kind of had, you know, one outing after another where either, you know, you had Richie Burke, Elise LaHue, everyone was in a different way in and out, a revolving door of people through this league. So it is a little concerning, you know, that Lisa Baird is now out. Of course, she deserved to go, but it's just to what level is the league going to be able to regroup? You know, and they're going to have to find another commissioner now. It took them so long to find Lisa Baird. We thought she was the person, and she turned out to not be the one to lead us. So there's so much going on with with this situation. Okay, first off, we, we have to talk about culture of abuse that is systemic, clearly, not just in soccer, in sports, across all sports, this is something that happens. Not just, you know, men coaching women, women coaching women, men coaching men. In every situation, this happens. Okay, so we need to be very clear in pointing this out in every single instance that it does happen. We need to continue to do so. Again, Paul Riley, someone who has been one of the more well-respected members of the league. So that's what makes this even more shocking, having won multiple titles uh, in, in this league. 
the fact that he was someone partaking in some of or not partaking excuse me leading and forcing these women to do these things is kind of chilling it's it's unreal to think that if he is someone who has been doing this imagine imagine what else could be going on out there you know and it's terrible to think of that but it's just so unfortunate he had everyone fooled Lisa Baird had everyone fooled. There was there was a moment in time where we all loved these people. The COVID pandemic, not a single COVID test during the Challenge Cup. Everything was going so well. But again, the fact that Lisa Baird had access to information and chose to really do nothing with it spoke to her ability to... To handle the situation, uh, she kind of took a, almost the Roger Goodell approach of not saying anything until you absolutely have to. And in this case, it's what got her fired. So, you know, it's unfortunate that the league is now without a commissioner. But at the same time, this is what we need. This is a step in the right direction. And this is the only way that the poison and the toxicity of the league is going to be eradicated. This is the only way that it is possible. And this is something that, again, doesn't just exist at the pro level. We're talking about youth sports. We're talking about the college level, okay? At every single level, this happens. It happens everywhere, okay? So it's clear that, like, how we coach in terms of a coaching culture is also going to have to change significantly. It's happening at every single level. So hopefully, you know, this is the start. And by, you know, Mana, Kayla, and and Schneed to actually speak up and say something, it has opened Pandora's box. It truly has. You're starting to hear all different types of, of rumblings come out from other places. You know, we're going to get to that in a second. But first, I just wanted to also shed a light on the incredible job that the NWSLPA did. The Players Association did an incredible job in sorting this out. I can't think of another Players Association across all sports, across all sports. I'm talking both men's and women's where they acted so unilaterally in this way and so strongly. The league had no choice. Because they were on top of everything. They deserve so much credit. If they aren't on top of this and they don't mobilize like this and get things ready, then no change is actually made. They had such a big impact on this. Like the NWSLPA in terms of standing up for its players... That's so huge in today's day and age. You see other leagues in the around the you know around the world trying to to make it about the players. The NBA has tried, other leagues have tried. But the fact that this is happening here on this level, you know, Tori Huster as president, Rachel Corsi as vice president, Emily Menges as treasurer, and Nicole Barnhart as secretary. You deserve a huge round of applause along with all of the other, you know, active uh, representatives from each team. Then you have the executive board. They have done so much great work. So it is incredible. And the more that they continue to put the pressure on the league, the more that those abusers and those people who have done wrong to a lot of the players in the league are going to start to get worried and start to get afraid of, are they coming for me next? And they should be very afraid because it's clear the PA is not going to stand for any of this. It's not happening anymore. And that's exactly what we need. Until we remove the bad from this league, we can now build on it and put in the people in place who we need to take the league to the next level. You know, we need to take... I mean, it's already gone to another level, right? I don't think the league is going anywhere. But now that we've been able to sort out this abuse situation, at least for the time being, there could still be more to come out. And there will definitely be more to come out like around the world as well. So again, there's still plenty of situations to be monitoring leading up to this. Um, but for now, you know, again, credit the PA for all of the incredibly you know, difficult work that they've done and they made it look easy in such a short amount of time. So it's only a matter of time before the players are going to have more support and more of a backing through the PA. And that's what makes them more powerful and allows them to make more demands and allows them to, to make progress. 
And so again, credit them. And not only were they supporting the players, but like I said, everyone else around the world, the FAWSL over in England, you saw almost every team essentially do the same thing. And before the kickoff, we're actually locking hands and showing solidarity. So it just goes to show you that it's not just America, folks. You know, they did that over in England because I'm sure there are other situations where it's happening and players can't exactly speak up yet because that that league in England, they might have a little bit more power. So again, people are afraid, but they, again, did a great job in, in showing solidarity. I did mention earlier how more will come out from around the world, and we did see more come out from the Matildas over in Australia. Lisa Devanna, arguably the greatest Matilda to ever play until Sam career Sam Kerr's career will end, but Lisa Devanna right now is the greatest that they've ever had. And she came out and said uh, that there's a whole issue of culture of abuse going on in Australia, which is wild. Now, we did hear rumblings of it, you know, a little over a, a year ago or however long that was ago with with the Matildas sacking their manager and a couple of these assistants because they were involved in some abuse, right? That's all that we heard, that there was rumors of, of toxic culture and things going on at the Matildas, and so it was the coaches who were let go, and we didn't hear anything else on the matter. But it appears that now Lisa Devan has finally decided to speak up, and here is is what she said. She said that she'd been pulled down from behind by a few key, by a few teammates, and has had to fight her way off the floor, kicking and screaming. She said, quote, they thought it was funny. I was just a young kid from Perth and I didn't know any different. I wanted to punch them, she said. As a youngster and a player, I didn't know how to address this, but it is still happening across all levels and it's time to speak up. And again, Lisa, this is coming from Lisa Devanna, who played 150 games for Australia, second on the all-time scorers list with 47 goals and still experienced it and this was back in 2001 when she joined the national team at age 17 so and considering the aussies bring in a ton of teenagers you're gonna like this is something that definitely continued now players the current matilda players like sam kerr Haley rasso have gone to instagram they've put out a statement of you know how they wish they could have done more to help Lisa. They've talked about how they haven't had such issues, but they, you know, they want her to feel safe to be able to to share in the future because soccer authorities in Australia have urged players to make formal complaints. And so this was one of them. And like for Lisa to be saying that she was groomed and harassed by senior players, her own teammates, not even most times, you know, you hear about this from from coaches, but players themselves doing it right that's a whole another level and so it just goes to show that this issue is not just uh, it's not just coaches it, it's deeper than that and you know Megan Rapino, I think had that tweet you know of of men protecting men but Lisa Devanna made an interesting point to say yes I agree with you but it isn't just men protecting men it's women protecting women as well and that's something we're not talking about enough of that it's both sides to the equation here okay that everyone is doing it we cannot let everyone get away so there's so much going on here that it, it was just such a shock. Hopefully, you know, the Matildas will be able to to regroup and address this and, again, continue to eradicate more of this toxic culture that comes in when, when you're a coach. In terms of other W League news, they did make a big change in terms of their league name. I said the W League earlier. They've changed it to the A League to be in solidarity with the Youth Leagues and the Men's League because that's what the Men's League was is called. So, again, before you were kind of doing it to differentiate, to let people know, okay, here's the men, here's the women. But what the league said was when we're united under one league, it's just football. So, you know, we keep it just football. We don't have to make it about genders or making it about two different things. This was an awesome move. This was an awesome move. I mean, part of it could be good publicity to try and, you know, help themselves after all of this other news involving Lisa Devana came out. But it's still a good look that they were that they were going to do this. And the A-League is still very big in Australia. And so for it to be the, the A-League... 
all across the board is is huge and i think the women deserve that they deserve to be considered under that banner so that everyone is together so we've talked about everything that went on you know off the pitch in terms of the league but the league itself is still going on yes you know some matches were postponed um, unfortunately i did not get the opportunity to go see portland versus the ol rain due to the postponement which was a little unfortunate got unfortunate got the chance to fly out to portland and was really looking forward to it but you know totally understand the players have to take whatever time they need for themselves because there was a lot going on and to have all of these stories being broken at the same time i think really kind of made everyone have to stop and think and be like what are we doing here you know we need to like we, we need to band together and get on the same page here and that's what we kind of saw the players do again a powerful message being sent during the sixth minute of some of these matches so it was just a, a great you know week and weekend of, of soccer leading up to things and so what we're gonna do now is just take a look at some some key fixtures coming down the rest of the year along with where we think the playoff standings are going to end up because there's you know so much movement going on constantly between spots one through three through eight because one and two have been kind of you know almost I wouldn't say set you know but Portland and, and the rain are in a good position in those in those top two for now let's take a look at some of these fixtures uh, one of the key games that I that you know I initially had circled was Gotham versus the pride two teams who both lost you know their head coaches both teams needed to regroup from that to try to make a playoff push and what we're seeing is you know the pride slightly starting to trend down a little bit and Gotham are starting to again trend back up they have you know based on the schedule they've had a game in hand so they've been in a in a great spot uh, to be able to move back into the playoff picture with with wins and sure enough in, in a game like this where both of them are in the outside looking in you know you're gonna need three points from this game and that's exactly what Gotham was able to do in a wild one okay so it didn't seem close at first because you know Gaetan Tine was incredible for Gotham scoring from a free kick and an incredible long distance goal so you know if you're Gotham you're in a great place uh, it was 3-0 we do kind of have to get into the ending because it was a wild end uh, you know or pride being down three with seven minutes to go Erica Timrak scores with the deflection and then Marta converts a penalty so it's 3-2 now with two goals very quickly and then at the very end of the game when everyone's coming forward Ashlyn Harris is coming forward one of the last kicks of the game the pride hit the outside of the post and Ashlyn Harris even got a chance to shoot even though her shot was blocked still goalies don't even get a chance to to do that usually so it was just a wild situation Gotham survived in a wild comeback attempt for Orlando, but I think for 83, 84 minutes of that game, it was clear that Gotham had, had beaten Orlando, and, and Orlando's going to have a tough time trying to make this playoff push with the new coach. I mean, they're just going to have to work out some kinks with Becky Burley. You're going to need to pick up some important you know, some important points from these last couple games. Moving forward, you know, Dash versus Portland. This was a, another big showdown because, you know, the Thorns just clinched the number one seed. Not the number one seed, they clinched a playoff spot. So they're in. They're not going to be worried the rest of the way. You may see them rest some players as a result. I don't know if they want to, you know, do whatever they can to probably keep that top two spot, right? Because it gets you a bye. But I'm sure Mark Parsons, if he has an opportunity, will rest some players. However, Houston is such an intriguing matchup for Portland. And again, it kind of went the way that I expected. If you check out our race to the NWSL playoffs article that's up on the site, you know, it talked about Gotham being a better team than Orlando right now. And for whatever reason, even though the Thorns are in first place, Houston seems to have Portland's number. Going back to the cup competitions, right? Coming back to, to this moment, again, the dash clipped them and you know it really jumped all over them the thorns did make a, a nice comeback to make it 2-2 but then of course Rachel Daly is inevitable going through a lot 
obviously with the recent passing of her father, but huge, huge three points for the Dash. And I think that is what propels them into their first ever playoff spot or playoff berth within the NWSL regular season format. Because again, they have qualified through the cup competitions, but this is different throughout an entire regular season. I truly think they've stayed healthy. They're all together. So this is the perfect time for them to sneak into that playoff picture. Moving forward, though, at the end of the year, two big matchups to keep your eyes on that I think will also be important before we get into the final standings. Orlando Pride versus Chicago Red Stars. The Red Stars are also in that cusp right outside the playoffs. In and out, in and out. So are the Pride, right? Again, two teams that are on the border, right? They need points from these games. And it will in all likelihood be the Pride's last chance to try and get back in as well as the Red Stars are in all likelihood going to be looking to secure that playoff spot as well. I think Chicago has looked better this year, again, because of Orlando's coaching situation. The Red Stars are finally starting to put it together this season, even though we know what they're capable of. We know how talented they are. This is the year where they might go under the radar and kind of surprise everyone if they can get in. If they get that five or six spot, I don't think anyone's going to be talking about the Red Stars because on paper, that team is super, super talented. Super talented. So there's nothing to say that the Red Stars aren't a contending team. I expect them to beat Orlando and to get into the playoffs for sure. That's that's my pick. And then one of the last games... Gotham FC versus Racing Louisville. This is going to be critical because Louisville's probably out of the playoff race, and for Gotham to get this fixture on the last day of the season is huge because not only is it, it could either impact their playoff positioning or just what seed they get, right? To get this big of a game at, at that stage, the expectation of getting three points is going to be a lot higher compared to playing some of the other teams. And so that is where... You know, if you're Gotham, you must get three points from this game to wholeheartedly secure, you know, one of the playoff spots there. And I think they will end up there. They're just playing too well as a team right now for them to not make the playoffs. So with that being said, here's how I think the standings might shake out. Um, the Thorns coming in at one. I don't think that changes. I don't think anyone's catching the OL rain either. Because of how tight-knit that locker room is, and Laura Harvey has come in and just picked up right where they left off. She's like, I have a, such a great team to work with. I'm thrilled. Whereas Freed Benstidi, unfortunately, just completely fluffed it. You can see the difference from Laura Harvey taking over, and they're firmly in that second spot. Third, this is where I have no idea what's going to happen with the Courage. I truly have no idea. My gut is saying that they're going to fall out of the playoffs altogether because of what has happened. You know, can they do this without Paul Riley? I don't know. But there's the possibility that they might have just gotten enough points to stay in the top six. You know, will there be other teams who can get in there and, and kick them out? I think the spirit is probably the spirit of the pride of the best team to get the courage out of there, um, out of those top, out of that top six. But again, it's so tough to call. I just don't know what the state of that locker room is. Do they rally around the fact that he's gone? Or do they just completely, you know, capitulate and not get into the playoffs? I think either scenario is is a plausible one here. So keep an eye on the courage. I'll leave them in the third spot for now, but keep an eye on them. Okay. Fourth, Gotham. I do have Gotham getting here again because of the, you know, having Kansas City and Louisville in those last two games. They're going to have a chance to pick up a huge six points that will likely put them in the playoffs. So that's why I've got them in fourth. Houston in fifth. I Again, like I said, I don't see them not getting in this year. They look too determined. And as long as they're all healthy and together on the pitch, Daly, Mewis, and Groom, as long as they're all there, they're a threat. So got, uh, Houston coming in in fifth. Chicago, like I said, another team that has so much talent, just got off this year, this season, to a very slow start. And now they're starting to get back into it. And I think they will be the last team. However, that's, like I said, the seventh spot. The Spirit are really still playing well with... Um, 
you know, without Richie Burke. So clearly, you know, Tom Torres is doing a great job as, as the interim guy and has picked up right where they left off. So they are still a threat as well. I was worried about how they would handle the Richie Burke situation, but it feels like they're going to be just fine. They picked up a, a big three points over Louisville as well, um, beating them 3-0 and handling their business. So that win is going to go a long way towards the final season standings. It's just, can they get enough points against these more experienced established teams if they can do that you know then they might be able to sneak in here and and there's other key matchups to come but we will have to see how it goes so i have you know portland the ol rain the courage gotham fc houston and then chicago as the top six but again the houston could just sneak into the picture and orlando unfortunately i don't think is going to be able to to get there barring some crazy turnaround you never know all it takes is like one you know two wins with how close it is in those standings all it's going to take is two wins six points is what's going to be the difference between you being a couple spots higher or lower because of how close things are so again keep an eye on that on those standings that's how i think it's going to play out let us know how you think you know, the playoff standings are going to play out again at us at girls soccer net on Twitter at girls soccer network on Instagram. All right. It is time for the interview portion of our show. We're going to get into the world of college soccer in the NCAA. The LSU women's soccer team is one of the premier teams in the SEC right now. They earned their highest ever ranking as a program at number six earlier this year. And we were able to speak with their head coach who has really instilled a incredible culture at LSU. Here is head coach Sean Hudson. Enjoy, guys. So, Coach, how were you and the team feeling as of right now? And how do you feel the season's going so far? Good, yeah. No, we had a, a great start to the year. Obviously, went in our first eight games on the stretch and built a ton of confidence and momentum out of that. And we've had a little bit of a, um, you know, a little bit of a sticky spot here in the last three games. Um, with losing three games, I think there was challenges um, to each of them. But um, you know, I think the girls are, are fired up and determined to get back to winning ways this weekend um, with the games against A and M and Auburn and just, you know, get back to sort of our identity as a team and, and what made us great earlier in the season with, you know, moving the ball and possessing and uh, being a little bit more combative, um, pressing teams higher up the field and just creating a lot of chances in wide positions and getting numbers in the box. And so has that really been the main message going into this weekend to try and end this this three-game skid? It's a big matchup against A&M. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think A&M is a team that likes to play, you know, play good football, play good soccer, play through their lines. And I think this is the kind of game that we need. Um, We've played a lot of of teams that have just been high press and and a little bit more direct. So I think it'd be nice to to get into more of a soccer game against A&M and we'd like to build and, um, you know, just just trying to get confidence back from, from playing, you know, a little bit more one and two touch soccer. Mm-hmm. Got it. And before you know, before you got to LSU, uh, it's it's been a solid program. They've been in the top twenty-five and have made the NCAA tournament, but you know have never made it past the second round. I'm sure your goal from you know from getting here is to expand on that. You know, what have you and your staff have been trying to do to help take this program to the next level? Yeah, I, I think number one was coming in and just putting a, a team culture and chemistry in place that. Um, you know, it was just more unified. We came into a group that, you know, had an interim coaching staff before we got here and just seemed really fragmented. So arriving with just this, you know, sort of family first mentality of, you know, building those those connections across the team. And then, you know, obviously trying to bring our identity and our coaching philosophy into play. And I think we've been able to establish that, you know, certainly this season, early on in the season. Um, we have a, a ton of athleticism in the group. We like to attack with numbers and attack fast in transition moments. Um, you know, but I think it's about you know, can we build out from our goal kicks and our goalkeeper, and can we be um, a team that dictates possession um, in each game that we play? 
And, you know, you've talked about culture. One of your uh, favorite sayings, I believe, is is that culture eats talent for breakfast. Uh, I guess <sighs> tell us more about where, you know, where that came from, how that started and how your your sports psychology background has really helped you to create this culture of competitiveness and, and togetherness at LSU. Yeah, I know. Like you said, I, I do have a sports psych background at both an undergrad and graduate level. I think, you know, the um, the mental side of the game is so important. And, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I moved here from, from overseas, uh, a foreigner, if you will, coming into this country and I didn't really have family or friends here when I moved here. And so my soccer... Um, teams or my soccer community became my family and I think I just wanted to, to sort of build that for for my players obviously you know while they may not all be away from home they're away from family certainly people you know freshmen for the first time so I think it's I think it's important to build relationships off the field and deepen connections off the field so I think in those moments you'll always sort of bond together um, and play harder for each other on the field in terms of like our culture, for me, it's not just about what we're doing on the field with our team. It's about building a culture of, um, you know, what can we do in the community? Can we be role models and figureheads for, you know, the young, the youngsters in the community? You know, obviously we have a huge soccer influence here in Baton Rouge with thousands upon thousands mm-hmm. of players and. We want those young kids in the community to sort of look up to our team as sort of figureheads and role models. And, um, you know, so we spend a lot of time getting our players out into the community and doing clinics um, and just doing a lot of stuff where, you know, the, the local youth can have access to them. And I think that's built a... Um, that's built a big interest in the team, you know, and we've got a, we had a record uh, crowd against Mississippi State in our SEC opener a couple of weeks ago, 3,000 plus. So I think there's a lot of like buzz happening around the team and we are starting to build this, uh, I would say, excitement around LSU soccer and, and in Louisiana in general, just sort of the Baton Rouge soccer community in general, you know, sort of coming out. We had 1,200 fans for our last home game against Georgia. So I, I think for me, it's not just about what we're building on the field, but what we're building in the community and, and what we're building in the state of Louisiana and, and just getting more of like an attachment to the game of soccer. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, briefly about when you came to America and the soccer community you created. Did they play a big role in, in wanting you in making you wanting to come coaching in America after being in the UK or were there other reasons involved in wanting to make the move here? Yeah, you know, I'd always been really intrigued about, you know, the the female soccer sort of landscape in America. I grew up in the UK where, you know, initially it wasn't promoted for women to play soccer. You know, it was very much a a male-dominated sport. And, you know, I I just knew of, you know, the numbers of women playing soccer in America and support for it. So I came out here working for a, a camp company by the name of Challenger Sports and I was amazed when I got here at this sort of, you know, sort of love, um, love of the game that, that the girls had here and even the men supporting, you know, whether it's their kids or just being supportive of the game. I mean, obviously we all still have our challenges, I understand that, but, you know, the 99 World Cup and it was 100,000 people or 90 to 100,000 people at that game, you know, we never would have seen anything like that in the UK. So that sort of opened my eyes, I think, to the opportunities here in America. And and having been out here for a couple of summers during my time in university, I just always felt like this was the place that I wanted to be um, because I felt like there was the the resources and the support here um, for girls playing soccer. And and I wanted to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Now that you are here and you've been at Colorado Springs, I believe, before you went to LSU, what was it about a program like LSU that that made you want to be the head coach there, that this is where I want to build and and implement my vision? Well, I think that LSU has such a rich tradition of um, excellence across their their sports, you know, and you look at almost all of our sports here and you see, you know, Olympians and pro players and, you know, just 
champions and I wanted to be a part of that I wanted to be around coaches that um that I could learn from whether you know that's obviously in different sports um but I wanted to be around coaches I could learn from I wanted to challenge myself at the highest level and I wanted to have the the opportunity to not be limited you know by resources um and obviously at this level it's uh it's been pretty dramatic in terms of like the change that I have in terms of the funding and, and all of the resources that, you know, obviously the division two level now to the power five. So I think it's been exciting to, to have, you know, that kind of backing and, and just all the support that I've received since I've been here, both from the administration and, um, you know, everybody associated with LSU, all the coaches and everything. I've, I've loved my time here and, you know, I also want to do the absolute best that I can to to put soccer on the map, so to speak. In previous interviews, you've talked about this, you know, your team's having tactical flexibility. And uh, what is it about LSU's style of play that makes you guys so unique to the SEC because it is such a, a such a tough, grueling conference to play in? Well, I think, first and foremost, we put a lot of work in off the training ground in terms of, like, video um video and uh and just sort of classroom sessions on how we want to play and, and sort of our game model um and i think you know early in the season we were having a lot of success so we didn't necessarily have to do too much different and as we've got into the sec schedule here we've got to be a little bit more thoughtful in how we change and how we adapt to opponents um but you know overall i think i want my players to have a, a complete understanding of the game so they are able to, to be tactically diverse um, and, and just sort of, you know, have different solutions to different problems that are presented by different teams. Gotcha. Now we're in SEC play. Uh, what is one thing that you are looking forward to getting into conference play? And what's one concern that you have going into conference play? Um, I think one one of the things that sort of is so exciting about this league is everybody, uh, you know, on any given given day, I think anybody's capable of feeding anyone else, and so I think it's it's a very unique conference in the country where you know you don't necessarily have the Florida states, North Carolinas of the world that are always you know off on their own sort of you know level. Um, I think in the SEC. You know, obviously teams like Arkansas have shown a lot of consistency, South Carolina in recent years, Texas A&M. But I think it's it's a league where the games are always incredibly tight and, and hard contested. Um, so I think that brings a lot of excitement. It's typically a, a huge amount of fans at away games. And so I think there's just a lot of atmosphere and, and it's exciting to play in the SEC. Um I think on the flip side of that, obviously, you know, the concern is is that you never get a you never get an easy game, and so you know you've always got to you know be mentally prepared. And but I, I wouldn't say that's a weakness per se or a concern. It's just a, you know it's just a fact of life in the SEC. Um, you know you want to be in these conferences because they're so competitive. But on the flip side of that, you know if you are in a position where you need a, an easier game just for confidence, you know, there's not one coming. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's a weakness per se, just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. All right, Coach, last question for you. Um, having been a part of soccer at all levels of, of the game, from the youth to the pros, what's your advice to all the young girls out there who are trying to make it uh, to the college or pro level? You have to work really hard on your craft, you know. It's not just about going out to your team's training sessions. You have to be doing a lot of stuff on your own and showing that sort of diligence and that motivation to be the very best that you can be. Um, I think it's really important to watch the game at a high level. There are a lot of players in this country that that play the game, but they don't necessarily watch the game. Um, and I think it's so important to watch high-level soccer. So I think we have to build that within our culture here in America of more youth players watching um, and critiquing the game at the professional level. Um, and, and I think the last thing is, you know, to dream. Don't ever let anybody tell you that you, you can't do something if you have a dream and you want it badly enough. You know, there are so many opportunities in this country to go on and play at the college level. But there really is a place for everybody. And so I think it's important to be realistic with your goals and your objectives as you're looking at your college search. 
but to always remain hungry and and you know set your goals and, and work really hard to achieve them again that was head coach sean hudson of the lsu tigers again you talked about the kind of culture that she's building over there at LSU and how her focus is on the mentality of players and what they can do together as a group. And as long as their mentality is good and their head is right, then you're going to be able to get the best out of those players. And it truly goes to show how big your mental game is in sports. If you're if you're not mentally strong, you're not going to be able to get as far as you're going to want to go. And that's point blank, period. Okay, that's just the situation. So for, you know, Coach Sean Hudson's emphasis to be that and to see it being, you know, worked into action in in the way that it has is is truly awesome. And, you know, they've been tested this year and they will continue to be tested. But um, we expect them to enter the rankings sometime, you know, before the season's over again, for sure. We want to definitely thank the LSU women's soccer program for allowing us to talk to coach hudson it was a great interview and again we hope you guys enjoyed it now of course we got to get into the rest of this crazy ncaa season i mean just wanted to take a look at the rankings real quick there haven't been an overly amount of of big time matchups in the non-conference of course there were in general but you know we got to make sure we we touch on everything of course, should there be any surprise that four out of the top five teams are out of the ACC right now, Florida State, Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, they're going to be there at the end. Expect them to make an Elite Eight run, all of them, into the in, in the NCAA tournament. Don't expect them to get eliminated anytime soon. UCLA coming in at the three spot, the best team in the Pac-12 currently. I think the biggest surprise, though, is Pepperdine. Pepperdine beat one of the best teams in the Big 12, TCU, and that's what's really propelled them into this number six status, and now they're going to have a real opportunity to stay in the top 10 throughout the entirety of the season, depending on how their non-conference schedule goes. If they're able to run the table or, you know, maybe only lose once to to Santa Clara, uh, Pepperdine is going to be a a top 10 team, and it's huge for the program. bit of a smaller school, but they have produced, again, pros most notably lynn williams so again this is a big time program and i love personally love seeing the mid-majors and the small schools in the rankings because it just goes to show that the sport can grow in a variety of areas it doesn't have to be the blue bloods all the time you can get it done in other ways Okay, you can go to a small school and try and build it up that way as well. That's what we've seen at a place like Pepperdine. That's what we've seen at a school like Hofstra. Hofstra, the Hofstra Pride from Long Island, New York, are ranked 10th in the country. And I'm sure that comes as a shock, but when you've been the best team in your conference for the last four to five years, you start to catch the eye of... Uh, teams around the country and when you dominate in a mid-major conference like they have and you consistently make the NCAA tournament you're going to find yourself in the ranking so for Hoster to be at 10th right now is huge and of course things are going to change as we get into the conference schedules but Hofstra has a chance to sit in that top 25 for a while I skipped over Rutgers again love to see Rutgers out of the big 10 in at 8 these are just different teams from what we've seen over the last Last couple years in this top 10-15 of course excluding you know the blue blood program so we always see Hofstra Rutgers art schools we're not used to seeing here West Virginia you know coach Nikki is O'Brown we spoke to in one of our previous episodes right the program that she has built there there's a lot of great programs that I just love talking about and it's so great there's so many great coaches trying to to build their own programs into something special and it's just so great to see Another key um, team, not too far out of the top 10, USC at 11. They jumped from 21 last week. Uh, Penelope Hawking, who again is on a Girls Soccer Network Instagram takeover, which was super cool that we got to see, you know, USC and getting ready for their matchup against Utah. So Penelope Hawking not only did the takeover for us, but also earlier in the season scored her 49th career goal at USC, which is 
the all-time school record at USC, breaking Isabel Harvey's record from 20 years ago. All right, she had that record, and now it has been broken. A 20-year record being broken. You know, it's it's incredible. And Penelope Hawking is going to be that player for USC this year. She's their go-to go-to scorer, go-to leader. Important that she plays well. As long as she plays well, USC is going to be in a spot at the end of the year to be a Sweet 16 team, an Elite 8 team, without question. Of course, you have your perennial powers like a TCU. Again, big, not a perennial power, but they're also, you know, up and coming in the Big 12. There's the defending Big 12 champs from last year. Stanford with three early losses early in the year. Uh, a bit surprising for them to be down, you know, from 7 to 14. But again, they've lost so much talent. Is Paul Ratcliffe able to consistently reload and replenish that? It's gonna, It might take a little bit of time to be before they're back in the top five. But we have to see how. Again, the rest of this season plays out. And you're looking at SMU, again, out of the American Athletic Conference. Um, Michigan, of course, is a big-time college school in general, but haven't seen them, you know, in in terms of soccer, haven't seen them much out of the Big Ten. So this is a, a surprising ranking to see them at 16. Virginia Tech also... At 17, they tend to hover in this area, but never have made any real significant movement in the NCAA tournament. One of the bigger surprises, again, Harvard coming in at 18. Usually we will see Princeton in this spot. They did get some votes out of the coaches poll, but Harvard right now at 8-0-1, moving up from the 20th spot to 18, that's big. And you better expect Harvard and Princeton are going to be duking it out for the best team in the Ivy. Usually there's one team that kind of separates themselves from the pack and asserts themselves as the alpha in the Ivy League, but looks like Harvard and Princeton are both going to have to to fight fight it out this year, which only just makes it better. All right, come on. We need a little extra competition up in here. And then to you know, South Carolina is is of course produce some pros and another big program in the SEC. BYU coming into the picture. Um, they've had some success over the last couple years. And then the last couple teams to round out are a bit new. Memphis, Auburn, Baylor. Notre Dame, a big-time school, Purdue, you know, maybe not as much. But again, expect these rankings to change. Just wanted to go over where we're at at the beginning of the year. The non-conference is essentially over. We move into the conference schedule. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this NCAA season shakes out. Uh, how seeding is going to shake out for the tournament, you know, the conference tournaments, of course, there's so much to to analyze here. So very excited to see how the college season, you know, shapes out once, you know, the NWSL season kind of wraps up as well, because you have the end of the regular season going into the playoffs. And then once those playoffs end, you know, we should be getting towards the end of the, the college season. So it'll be a great segue into the business end of the NCAA season. Last but not least, the FAWSL. Again, we talked about how they were able to show solidarity for the women in the NWSL. And you could tell, of course, there's there's a lot of friends, colleagues who I'm sure were seeing what was going on or maybe even being in contact with some of the players here in America and just getting a better understanding of the situation in order to, you know, before acting. And you can see here, this was clearly like a move of solidarity for them to do that. And they didn't have to. They really didn't. They sh- But again, it just goes to show you the power of, of things being international and like it, like for them to act this quickly on it too it hasn't happened in, in a situation like this that I can think of in a while. So again, props to the FAWSL for showing support. Two major things. First was the the Manchester Derby between United and City, um, a wild game, wild. Uh, Georgia Stanway. Oof, that was a shocking challenge. I don't know if you got, you guys got to watch it. That boot came up to her, you know, Leah Galton's knee. Dangerous. Uh, she can have no complaints for that red card. But City scored with 10 players thanks to Khadija Bunny Shaw, who is so good. 
again, I talked, I, like, that's someone I highlighted back when she was at Tennessee and how she was a, easily a top five player, but she was never going to come to the NWSL or enter her name into the draft. So, again, for her to go abroad, now she's at Manchester City. It's a great spot for her. I mean, she's going to be a dominant, dominant player there. So, City opened the scoring first. Uh, Lucy Staniforth equalized on a nifty little... A set piece move, a short corner, followed by a flick on at the near post, completely caught City napping. And then Alessia Russo, on what was a wild sequence, tries to get her footing to control the ball. It doesn't, loses slight control, and then with the most ridiculous body angle ever, is able to literally like turn, contort her body in a way to where she bends this like toward the far corner and it finds the back of the net it was incredible the atmosphere in the stadium guys that was on another level okay that is like what we are like hoping for i mean obviously we get it you know in at providence park with portland but just like the overall feeling in the stadium when she scored i mean the roar it was Incredible um, to show just how Im- important that game was for, for the league. Sure enough, United could not hold on to their lead. Ellen White uh, found an equalizer pretty quickly after you know one of her teammates shot hit the underside of the bar, almost went in, and Ellen White had to tap in. So it ended up being two-two, a missed opportunity for Manchester United, but. Um, it's clear that City still have a ton of talent. If they were able to stand with United for essentially more than 60 minutes with less, yeah, almost 60 minutes with 10 players against United, it goes to show the squad depth that they have and, and how good they're going to be. But for whatever reason, they are very low on the in the table. They got off to too slow of a start. Unfortunately, when you look at the table, Arsenal still 100% unbeaten, 5-0. and Chelsea right behind them. Uh, it's looking like it's going to be a two-team race, and both of those teams looking are looking like, again, they're on just another level from the rest of the league. Uh, United in fourth I believe Tottenham in third City will likely work their way back up into the top four I'm, I'm not worried it's just a matter of can they keep up in the title race because I know they're another team that always wants to be competing for titles of course so you have City Arsenal Chelsea but it's looking looking like more like Arsenal and Chelsea who are going to be again a two-team race and it's going to be a very very exciting two-team races as, as we go throughout the season all right, that is all that we have for you today on episode 44 of Give and Go. I'm your host, Rotas Wadera, and thank you so, so much for making the choice to listen to us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, for all the latest news, analysis, lifestyle, everything that you need on the world of women's soccer, we got you covered. Go to www.girlssoccernetwork.com. Check us out on Instagram at Girls Soccer Network or on Twitter at Girls Soccer Net. Again, we are available on all streaming platforms as well. So be sure to give us a download. Thank you so much for the time, guys. We will be back soon. Here's Rotas Wadera signing off, guys. Thank you.